You can have a seat. Amen. Good morning. This is like International Worship Leader Preaches Day. I, uh, apparently a lot of lead pastors take the Thanksgiving week off. It makes sense. I texted a bunch of my friends back uh, in the Midwest. And um, what do you know? All my worship leader friends are preaching too. <laughs> so it's okay. But my name is Ben. And uh, thank you, Jenna. What a treat to have you here today. I always look forward to when I get to teach and preach because um, normally I, I just get these little snippets to talk to you and, and you know, bring things out from my heart to you between songs and you know, I don't have a whole lot of time. And so I get to talk for a little bit longer about the things that are, are important to me and, um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to get to do that a little bit different today and uh, everything will be back to normal next week. And so, uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Did you? Good. Did you? Who stuck around? You guys stick around? Who took off? Go places? Yeah. Um, we did something, my family did something a little bit different this, this year. Um, when we first moved here in 92, we didn't really have all of our stuff together yet. We were, um, we, and so we went down to uh, Coco's in Pismo Beach and had our Thanksgiving dinner there. And this year, my brother had plans with his in-laws and that side of the family. And so it was my family and my folks. And it's been a busy season. None of us felt like cooking. And so we did it again. We went down to uh, Coco's Pismo Beach. It was amazing. Easiest cleanup ever. Um, <laughs> and then we walked down, looked at the, at the pier. That, that, that place is tore up. Like they're, they're working on that. That's going to be pretty sweet. But uh, it was just really great. What a blessing it is to, to live here and not be like shoveling snow um, at Thanksgiving. Um, and so I thought this is the most amazing, easy Thanksgiving I've ever had until about nine o'clock at night. I get a text from James and he goes, dude, time for leftovers. And I realized I made a terrible, terrible mistake. Um, go back. Uh, uh, oh, Jim, you're way ahead of me. Uh, this is what James sends me. Uh, as I tell him that I made a mistake. Because the thing is, if you go out to lunch for Thanksgiving, you don't have leftovers later. <laughs> I totally goofed up Thanksgiving. I ruined my Thanksgiving. That's the best part of Thanksgiving is like mashed potatoes, reheated, and pajamas at like 9 o'clock at night. And then, I, so I'm telling James about this, and then he sends me that picture next. And I said, thanks a lot, James. So I sent him the next one. Um, but anyway, he... Um, <laughs> He really, really, he really rubbed it in, um, but he's a, he's a good friend. He's a great friend. Um, you don't hang out with Pastor James and not have stories, lots and lots of stories. Um, and so we have a really good time together, and he was, I think, trying to teach me a lesson about Thanksgiving. Um, so I learned my lesson. I just about went down to Walmart and got just a box of instant potatoes and one of those packets of gravy, but it was like the eve of Black Friday, and I wasn't going to... It doesn't seem like a bad idea to wait an hour in line uh, for that. Um, yes, more, more than an hour. I, I saw you working at Kohl's the other day, and I, and I was like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? Um, well, I didn't. I was fine. 
Um, I probably saved a few pounds that way. Nonetheless, I want to talk about grace today. In the last uh, couple of months, especially this fall, we've been talking a lot about giving. Give, 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 give. You know. You know. And so we've had Vision 2020 about giving. We've talked about pledging for next year. We've, um, we had friends giving. We had a friends giving uh, dinner, which was amazing. We had over 150 people there. Um, but uh, you can't keep giving unless you're getting filled up. You can't keep giving unless there's this grace coming into you. So I want to talk about grace today, but not so much just the relationship of grace coming into our lives, but the grace that comes out of us and, and how grace affects how we, how we see other people. Um, and, uh, you know, God's grace for us is so, is so big. And we tend to really just think about the one side of it, all the grace coming at us that's, that's forgiving us from our past or, or whatever. And also the idea of grace to, to a, a non-believing world is really kind of confusing because we, we say things in this room like you can't earn your way to heaven, you can't do enough good to outweigh, it doesn't work that way. It's all grace, it's all God and that's it. And the rest of the world I think sometimes looks at that and goes, what is the big problem with wanting to work hard and earn something? What, what is so wrong with working hard and wanting to stand before God and say, look what I did? And God has a lot to say about that because there's a problem that comes in when we start thinking that way. And that's that not only does it rob us, but it robs God of the credit that he deserves. But the biggest thing is that when we have a misunderstanding of grace, then grace only comes to us. It doesn't come out of us. And so we're going to talk a lot about that today. And we'll talk about what we lose when we approach our faith um, that way. And so we're going to sprint through the first couple chapters of Galatians. And I'll just tell you, if I, some of you might be new here, and so the idea of laughing or being funny in church might seem irreverent. It's not. Okay, if something seems funny, it probably is meant to be funny. If it seems like I'm making a joke, I probably am. Um, I'm just telling you, so it's okay to, it's okay to laugh, because I remember visiting churches for the first time, and, I'm, I'm, and it, you just don't know, is it okay? Is that supposed to be funny, or is he just an idiot? I don't know. You, so you'll... It's probably meant to be funny, and if I am just being an idiot, then you can laugh, and it'll smooth it all over. (laughs) Let's read through Galatians. This is uh, Galatians 1, and uh, here's how the beginning of the letter starts. It says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now, has anybody ever gotten a letter? It starts out really nice, and then all of a sudden, it switches. Verse 6. All the nice things were said. Okay. Um, Hey, guys. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you've welcomed, let that person be cursed. 
Paul is dealing with a couple of different gospels. We'll read more about it in chapter 2. But there's, there's a gospel that Paul has preached that Jesus died for. That is the gospel of grace and only grace. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing the church needs to put on people to say you need to do to get God's favor and blessing. It's just grace. And now there's another gospel, even in the early church, that's starting to sneak in that says, yeah, it's the gospel, but there's this other stuff that you have to also do too. A lot of it came from the background of the Jewish culture because now we've got this Jewish and Gentile culture are mixing and people are starting to get confused okay so paul is so concerned about this that he and maybe in modern times he is saying to us look i don't care if a victorious secret angel comes and tells you something different than the gospel it doesn't matter i don't care if bruno mars sits outside your window and taps and sings you a song about it it's not the gospel i don't care if elvis comes to your door he's probably still alive but (laughs) i don't care who the messenger is, let them be cursed. And he says, even if I say that, then let me be cursed. Because in verse 10, he says, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. There are all sorts of things Paul could probably add to this. And and I bet early church leaders are tempted to add things to the gospel that make them a little bit more popular. There are all sorts of things Christian authors add to the gospel these days. They sell a few more books, add a few more Twitter followers. It happens all the time. It's nothing new. And so Paul's got this huge concern at the early church for this misunderstanding of grace. Because if it's not corrected, they're going to start falling into all sorts of goofy things, really silly splitting arguments. And as people have started to misunderstand God's grace, they've started to add things. And it starts to build this culture of elitism and qualifications, and works, and separation. And so Paul has to call out and mention this time he had to call out the apostle Peter because of it. In chapter 2, starting in 11, it says, when, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with them anymore. He was afraid of criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. Now, I don't know quite what to say about this, and I don't know if Paul was shaking his head at this, but you might want to have a cause for concern in your church when the leaders of the church stop talking about the gospel and instead start debating issues down here. (laughs) Can you imagine the rolling of his eyes as they see what they are debating, to see the issue that they are separating? It's a bunch of grown men talking about... Okay, I'm going to move on from that. But what in the world happened? It's 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 the early church, and what are we talking about? What are we talking about? In 14, he says, When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Let it go. (laughs) Let it go. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul calls, calls Peter an apostle to the Jews. Similarly to how Paul is called an apostle to the Gentiles. And I think what happened was as Peter was ministering to predominantly the Jews that had come into the church, um, some of those cultures and things they brought with him, he started to get sucked into. And so now you've got Peter, a powerful apostle, all of a sudden sitting around the table talking about these things instead of the gospel. And Paul is like, knock it off. Are you serious? <laughs> 
Are you serious right now? In 15, it says, uh, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we've believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And then down at 21, he wraps it up and says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For keeping the law, for if keeping the law could make us right, then there was no need for Christ to die. So he's saying every time you add something or heap another responsibility on people that God didn't ask them to do, you're lessening the death of Christ. You're making him die for things he didn't die for, or you're making him die for no reason. Paul is calling out Peter. He's trying to protect the church from its bad habit of wanting to add things to, to God's grace. And he has to confront him and say, you guys might want to start talking about this instead. But I think it's natural for us to um, kind of buck against the idea of, of grace because, I mean, especially here in America and then even more so maybe in, in Paso, like you got to work really hard. You got to be pretty savvy to make ends meet living in this beautiful area that we live in. And, um, and so we've got a little bit of an arrogance and a pride to us sometimes about standing on our own two feet and working really hard and, and earning something because you just don't make it here any, any other way. We're a hardworking community. We really, really are. And that's awesome. But it also comes with sometimes a misunderstanding of grace because when we're so used to working hard and earning what we get, we get confused about how the currency of, of God works. But we're just like that naturally. We want to be in control of relationships. You know, I remember in junior high, I, I would have friends that started to feel like maybe they were going to get dumped. And then quickly, they'd like send me with a note to dump them first. You know, like... <laughs> That's what we do. We want to be in control. You don't want to get dumped. You want to, you're going to get them first. It's, it, we just have this natural thing with relationships. We want to control them because if we can control the relationship, um, there's less risk. But our understanding of grace in the church conflicts with that. Like I said earlier, we, we talk so much about grace in its relationship to us and how it covers us and how it um, forgives us. But Grace redefines our relationship with others. It, it changes how we, how we treat people. And if we don't understand it as a church and as individuals, we start, like Peter, to look down on other people. We start to be arrogant. We start to be um, dominant over each other. Instead, our, our, it starts to sneak into all the things of our church, like our small groups start to instead being unified by um, the commonality we have in, in, because God loves us, we, we start to have small groups that center instead around just our common interest or social statuses. We don't want that. That's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be living in this beautiful mosaic. Where, and that, I mean, for me, that's the most beautiful thing on a Sunday morning is that when I walk in this room, I know I see all of you. I, I know a lot of you and I know how different we all are. And I love the fact that the reason we're all here is because of God. It's not because we all agree on everything. I see your bumper stickers in the parking lot. I know. Okay? I get it. And that's, that's not it. I don't want to be a part of a church like that. You know? Uh, we, want to, we come here because we want to be part of that greater mosaic of life that only God could put together and only God could hold together and only God could explain. That's why we're here. Paul is really passionate about this because if we're not passionate about grace and protecting grace... 
we start to be satisfied with only reaching out to people who are like us, who like the same things, who do the same things, who look the same way. And the truth about grace is that grace changes how we think about everything. Here's an example of um, how grace changed my thinking. Um, And uh, and I had someone come to me before service and and let me know about something in uh, Egypt that just happened. And I and I, it's, it's terrible. I, honestly, I don't know a lot about it. I just know another devastating thing happened and, and people lost their lives again because of fighting. And, you know, it's at the point now in our culture where I, I almost don't, I don't want to look it up. It's so sad. But when I was younger, when these things would happen, until God's grace really encountered my heart, I, I would hear about these things and really just feel bad for the victims and have mostly judgment for the ones who did these things. But now, because I continually walk in God's grace, and I see how much he forgives me, and how much he knows me, and still keeps loving me, and pursuing me, and all the dumb things I do, I actually have this weird, unexplainable compassion and sadness now for the ones who did the thing wrong. And that's something that God has changed in my heart, and that's something that grace does in you that the world doesn't understand. The world doesn't understand how you could have compassion for the one who committed the crime and hurt the person as much as the one who is hurt by it. Because that's not the way our world works. But it's how God works. Because the truth is, nobody really, really gets completely caught up and entangled in sin and is happy about it. We know that's not who we're supposed to be. Nobody loses their temper and yells at their kids and goes to sleep like, that was a great day. Nobody goes and cheats at at work and loses their job or whatever it is or becomes an addict. Nobody does those things and is happy about it. It's terrible. It's depressing. You just feel so much condemnation. At the end of the night, you're thinking, how did I get here? Who am I? So I think we kind of intrinsically know that we don't just want grace to like forgive us for the past. We need grace now to help prevent the things that we might do. We need grace right now every day to come out of us to, to help us start to become the people that God really wants us to be, not to be entangled in the things that we are so likely to get tangled up in. And I want to challenge you guys that if when I talk about having compassion for the ones who did these things as much as compassion for the ones who were affected by it, for me, that's a really, really good checker, a really good radar for where your heart is at as far as how you understand God's grace for you. Because if you look at others and have no compassion for the, for the addict, no compassion for the abuser as well, it doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean you make that okay to have compassion. But if you have no compassion for that, you might not fully understand the compassion and love that God has for you and the stuff he puts up with from you every single day. Every single day. That's how God's grace changes us and it changes how we look at, at people. Um, one of the biggest ways in my life that this has changed me is that uh, some of you know, most of you met my younger brother. I have a younger brother, Tim. He's 16 months younger. He's a little bit taller. Everybody calls him my older brother. And I just say, okay, I don't want to fight it anymore. Um, But I also have another brother who's uh, seven years older. And um, I don't know where he is. I haven't talked to him in years. I have no idea where he is. And you know what? Earlier on, some of the decisions he made, you know, it forced some wedges in our family. It forced some separation. And it is really sad. It was hard to watch my parents go through. I mean, my, it was hard to watch my parents go through being rejected by people in the church even 
for some of the decisions that he made. And it's a really big mixed bag of emotions. But my biggest emotion with my brother that I haven't talked to in a long time is not anger at him for doing anything wrong or anything he's done. That's not really how, I, I miss him terribly. I love him. I want our family to be complete. My biggest feeling concerning that relationship is more of a, a weeping and a sadness that God has this potential and God has this life that is, seems to be continually rejected. God has a completeness waiting for him that he doesn't want to grab. And that's really what, that's really the, the, the frustrating thing for me. That's, that's my main feeling about it. And that's something God has done in, in my heart. Whereas I think when I was younger, I just felt maybe angry or upset or embarrassed or betrayed or whatever it was. But now the main feeling I have is that. That wanting for someone to be complete and full. And it's something that I call, a, when you look at a situation, you have something called a holy discontent. Holy discontent. It's when you look at a situation and you go, it's just not right. God has much better for this than what it is. It's just not right. That's a holy discontent. And so I pray that God's grace as it comes into us, it starts to build that holy discontent, that beneficial holy discontent for the people in our lives. Next week, you know, we're going to start talking about uh, Christmas. We'll start singing a lot of Christmas songs. And um, you know, I, look, I, we, we rehearse a few times Thursday, okay? And then we come and we warm up Sunday morning and then we play in three services and then we start planning. I, I do get kind of tired of, okay, I shouldn't, I don't want you guys to question me while we're doing the Christmas songs. We'll do our best and we're going to love it. Um, so... But that's going to start ramping up. And so you, you, we, this church, we're going to start interacting with all sorts of people soon. People are going to start coming through the doors. People are going to start coming to our homes. We're going to start going to people's homes. And I just pray that you would start thinking about that other side of grace, that you would have that holy discontent, that loving, holy discontent for the people that are in your lives, that we might be able to bring that unexplainable grace and acceptance to people whether it's in Paso Robles or Templeton, Atascadero, San Miguel. I said Oildale last service. Someone was here from Oildale. Okay, that just shows we're all over the place. Um, and lastly, um, I want to just, uh, we're going to give back in just a minute now. And Jenna, go ahead and come on up. Um, you know, giving back is a really great example of um, us taking what God has poured into us and then and then not being a lake with no outlet, but being a, a lake that is like, not like the Dead Sea where there's rivers running into it and nothing's coming out. But giving back is an opportunity for us to let God's grace and his generosity flow through us and be healthy. And so I encourage you guys to think about giving this morning in that way, that giving is a response to what God has given and invested in you this morning. And so let me pray for us as we transition into giving back. And also, as those plates come by, that's where you can drop those, uh, those cards you filled out this morning. Sound good? All right. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for um, pouring into us what we don't deserve. Thank you for protecting us and changing us and refining us through your love. And God, we give you these these offerings this morning and pray that you would use them to further your kingdom 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.